Hi, and welcome to Take Every Thought Captive, our weekly look at the Catholic intellectual tradition and an exploration of the authors, books, and topics that have shaped Catholic thinking for 2,000 years. My name is Jason Gale, and I'm joined this week by Dr. Benjamin Smith. And today, what we are going to cover is completely going to blow your mind. Because you may think we're in a, a modern world or even a postmodern world, uh, but there's a new phenomena happening, and it is the post postmodern world, uh, right. which is going to be the topic of, of today's discussion. What is the post postmodern world, or how do we how do we look at the, the the people around us and how they are thinking and acting and make sense of it, mm-hmm. uh, uh, especially coming from our uh, Catholic philosophical and theological tradition. A lot of times it doesn't make sense. Uh, And so today what we want to do with uh, Dr. Smith is uh, kind of trace out uh, a little bit of the the evolution of the the modern mind from uh, maybe Kant to to modernism to postmodernism to uh, what has been, I guess, just dubbed Popomo, uh, (laughs) (laughs) postmodernism. This is getting to the point of uh, just being ridiculous, Dr. Smith. But... uh, but it, but it's it's absolutely fast it's it's fascinating because we're we're the 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 modern mind uh, is completely relative with regards to to many different things we we've fallen mm-hmm. into this complete individualism and subjectivism and right. everything around us is uh, interpretation right how do you interpret mm-hmm. that how do you inter- you know uh, uh, so it, it it gets confusing because then on the other hand. Uh, uh, we we believe in this this kind of where we take this kind of scientism, not scientific, but mm-hmm. scientism approach to things where uh, um, uh, if it cannot be proved or it can be proved, therefore it's it's done, it's settled. There's there's mm-hmm. this this absoluteness about things uh, mm-hmm. um, that are not necessarily you know scientific, but we try to apply this kind of scientism to, to, to everything. Um, you know, and, and so it's, it's exactly. maddening, I think for the, the deep thinking Catholic of, of even how to, how to mm-hmm. navigate the water. So, um, maybe you can get us started and just, you know, I, I think going through, you know, a bit of the, the, the history of thought here, mm-hmm. uh, and the evolution of it, we can, you know, maybe encounter our neighbor, our, our post postmodern neighbor, uh, <laughs> with some charity, but also some, uh, some understanding of where they're coming from. Sure. Yeah. So uh, just to follow up on what you're saying there, I mean, one of the hallmarks uh, that I've run into over and over again in interacting uh, with contemporary culture, contemporary thought, right, is this kind of uh, adherence of the uh, 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 one hand of being very relativistic or subjective about ethical matters, political matters, um, cultural matters. And at the same time, right, as you say, being very scientistic, uh, very materialistic and reductionist on other matters. And it's like, well, these things don't actually fit together, right? Like, like why, why is that? How does this work? I don't get it, right? Like, and so I've tried to, uh, over the years, develop a way of thinking about this um, that I sometimes call the, the bifurcation model. Mm-hmm. And I think it kind of brings together um, the different strains that created our contemporary way of thinking. Um, but before we get to that model, we need to think about sort of like the sources. So to kind yeah. of understand it, it's helpful to think about where it came from. So we have to think about postmodernism, and then we also need to think a little bit about modernism. Mm-hmm. I'll try to kind of keep things at a general level here. But with modernism, right, you could be thinking the the the, the heresy condemned by uh, Pius X, right? The, 
that heresy is connected to modern like philosophical modernism mm -hmm. it's not exactly the same mm -hmm. right there's some there's some differences um you know one way of thinking about modernism right is just to think of it as you know early modern philosophy starting sort of in the 17th century moving through the 18th really culminating i think in a lot of ways in the work of immanuel kant arguable that it culminates some in the work of friedrich nietzsche mm -hmm. um, but um kant you know Immanuel Kant, a German philosopher, um, you know, uh, probably one of the most important philosophers when you're thinking about the modern. And we've talked about him a good bit. Um, so I don't want to, to go into too much detail, but Kant's great sort of, I guess, insight, you could say, um, has two of them, two moves that are important. Mm -hmm. One is his separation of the phenomena from the noumena. Mm -hmm. That is the appearances or experience, I should say, from reality. And second is his uh, division of the practical and the theoretical. Mm. Right? Mm -hmm. yep. Those two moves together, I think, are, are really key uh, moves. So let's deal with the, the experience versus reality. Yeah. Um, Kant was concerned with certain forms of early modern skepticism uh, in which it was thought that maybe the objects of experience, how do we, how do we know the right. objects of experience? That was the, the, the question there. Um, and what he ultimately came to the view was that the, the objects of experience are predictable and knowable and definable and intelligible because they are in part crafted by the human mind, mm. right? So here you really have, I mean, yeah. really, this is a, a major move in the history of philosophy. It's, it's called the Copernican revolution in philosophy, mm -hmm. where the idea is, you know, we've thought in the past so much about truth being the, the objects, con, the mind conforming to objects, right. right? But instead, Kant says, nope, that's not what truth is. Truth happens when the objects conform to the conditions of knowing in the human mind. Right. Um, so the mind so becomes what, the measure as opposed to reality, the object right. itself. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, so instead of having an external measure, right, mm -hmm. the mind itself is the measure that determines whether an object is true or not. Yeah. That should um, sound very frightening to our listeners. <laughs> that's right. That's <laughs> and right. it is that frightening in reality. Yeah. <laughs> and so he would say, look, you know, we can do Newtonian science. We can do all this wonderful stuff right, about the phenomena. It's about the objects of experience. It's all I mean by phenomena. Um, uh, because the phenomena is shaped by our own cognitive apparatus, mm. right? Um, so we, it's intelligible, it's predictable, but we can't know that it's true in itself. That's the key point, right? Whereas we yeah. can't know that this is the way reality is in itself because really the phenomena, what we do science about, for example, is really um, it's it's really the objects of experience as can be experienced by a human being. Yeah. Right? So it's another thing in itself. So you know, you might say, imagine. Well, this is probably kind of impossible, but imagine you know, experience in the world like a bat. Right. Bats don't experience color. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, they experience sound very intensely. Right. Right. Um, so am I right about color or is the bat right about the colorless world? Well, 
you know, what we're going to say is it depends on whether you're, I mean, what, what somebody, you know, thinking like this might say, it depends on your cognitive apparatus, right? <laughs> you know, there's no way to get back behind the world as experienced by me yeah. with the cognitive apparatus I have or the bat that it has. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, in exactly. Yeah. yeah. It, it, yeah. It makes sense as a theory. It doesn't make sense in real life. Um, <laughs> Cause again, I go back to, I go back to my kids. I mean, my kids and I, we will look at, we will look at, at a thing and they will interpret it completely different. And I am right. <laughs> you know, they look at a they look at a fishing pole and they see you know a lightsaber or something and I'm like no that's not a lightsaber that's a fishing yeah. pole you know like yeah, yeah so yeah Jason who who are you to say exactly I my cognitive apparatus is no better than your cognitive apparatus uh, exactly maybe you can beat your cognitive apparatus up but <laughs> so yeah uh, so the thing in itself sort of disappears um yeah. fades away right instead we get the world is shaped by the human mind by the human mind um the other division that he makes is between the practical and the theoretical so the practical for him is you know it's about it's mind thinking about what should be um the theoretical is the mind thinking about what is and that's where we what we were just talking about with the phenomena and the noumena sure interestingly right there is no point of unity between practical thinking and theoretical thinking other than the ego. Mm. Um, so this is why he calls the ego transcendental. It floats, so to speak, between, between the, the domain of theoretical uh, thinking and practical thinking. Um, so if you, if you want to describe the way the world is, you do theoretical stuff, right? Mm -hmm. You do Newtonian science, you measure the phenomena, all that sort of thing. Uh, that gives you the facts in, in the sense of what happens. Now, whether those facts are the way the world really is, that's another matter, right? Yeah, interesting. You want to think about who should I vote for? Uh, should I steal? Should I cheat on my spouse? The facts are irrelevant to that. <laughs> what you have to think about is um, is um, kind of the what he's going to call the the categorical imperative. I don't want to get too far into this, but sure. there are certain uh, ideas, laws, right? Of, of practical thinking that mm -hmm. you need to adhere to that are not derived from the facts. Right. right. So what we have is a radical division between the practical and the speculative here. So there's two divisions, right, that Kant introduces. One between the, the, the objects of experience and reality in itself, and two between the theoretical and the practical. Yeah, and he would reduce like morality to just simply duty right that with this categorical categorical imperative it wouldn't necessarily mm -hmm. be just it, it wouldn't necessarily be even a judgment on my part right or well you're going to make judgments but your judgments need to be in conformity with um the principle the categorical the imperative. categorical okay yeah, yeah what's really key though about the categorical imperative i remember the first time i was reading kantian ethics is I kind of thought he was about to say something about God as the legislator, right? yeah. which is interesting, right? Um, but he didn't <laughs> at all, right? The key point about the categorical imperative is the law that I apply to myself, right? Okay. Um, so we create laws that make morality possible, right? Mm. And the number one law I create is that I shall always do only that which is universalizable. Um, that is kind of like a, a version of the golden rule, you could say, to keep it simple. Sure. Um, 
And uh, um, that's what makes it possible for me to think practically and morally. Uh, but very importantly, it's a law that I legislate on my own. Mm, interesting. Yeah. yeah. All right. So that takes us, or that that's um, describing kind of uh, uh, the Kantian view, which is the basis of, of modernism, not just the heresy somewhere in there, um, sure. but also just the philosophical period of modernism. That's now, right. now right. what's the, what's the movement then into postmodernism? So postmodernism, I would say, is not directly historically derived from Kantianism. Okay, so okay. I think it's always important. What sometimes people see similarities or make associations between modes of thought that where there is a real conceptual similarity, mm -hmm. but they mistake that for a historical genealogy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's an important thing to, to be careful about. Um, <clears throat> there are some important conceptual similarities between. I think Kantianism and postmodernism, but I don't. It would be incorrect to say <clears throat> that postmodernism goes directly out of uh, Kantianism. Okay. So, um, what postmodernism um, is a departure from modernism in the sense that it rejects individual reason or the sufficiency of individual reasoning, mm. right? So, postmodern theorists. There's a long history here. Postmodern theory really devolves out, develops out of sociology and the philosophy of society. Mm -hmm. And um, the, the basic idea, right, is that individual reasoning is not sufficient for truth, is not sufficient uh, unto itself, is in fact kind of a mirage, right, uh, that is individual rationality. Rather, what we should recognize is that reason itself and thought itself is socially constructed. So if there's one phrase you want to think about when you're thinking about postmodernism is the one I just used, socially constructed. Yeah, we hear right? that all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So every perspective, every moral norm, every whatever it is, right, government, yeah. uh, view of government, all of those things are social constructions. What do I mean by that? It means that they are developed within a specific historical society. Yeah. Um, and that, um, you know, there are a, a variety of complex factors that come together, mm -hmm. often involving competition for power, um, <clears throat> that is at work within a society that produces its social constructs. Right. Um, so, you know, right now, you know, the one that's most relevant probably to us in our contemporary setting is uh, gender, right? That, that gender is a social construct right <clears throat> that it's not related to sex sex right. and gender are totally different things right right um but um uh, male and female are social constructs not male and female feminine and masculine uh are social constructs um whether you're a man or a woman that sort of thing so <clears throat> different society of course societies differ right jason yeah yeah, yeah. um you know 12th century china versus mm -hmm. you know 20th century america i'm sure That's they right. looked a little different right, That's right. And, and so i mean you can kind of understand something about this like mm -hmm. oh yeah different cultures have different settings uh, uh mm -hmm. different norms may apply so i mean mm -hmm. what's wrong with that right right you know the problem with it of course is <clears throat> can uh are some societies correct and others incorrect are some societies more correct and others less correct? Well, now you're just being judgmental, um, Doctor. <laughs> right, yeah. Is it possible yeah. to be in a society um, 
and see what is in itself, or do we only see it through the lens of our own society and cultural background? Um, the hard edge of postmodernism would say the latter, that it's, yeah. we can never escape sort of the web of our social relationships and our sort of uh, social habituation mm -hmm. uh, to see things as they are in themselves. That's true of our culture and every other culture. And so what we really have is in any of our thinking, in any of our conclusions, in any of our judgments or interpretations, really are expressions of diverse communities. Mm. Um, none of them can, there's no point from which we could say, oh, this community is more correct than the uh, this other community. Yeah. They're just different communities. Right, because there's no standard that we can apply to all communities. Correct, right? yeah, all standards yeah. are socially constructed. Right. So yeah, to judge a culture, to judge like we right. can't judge, you know, say one culture's worse than the other, or mm -hmm. you know, yeah. So that makes it very say, difficult. We can, we can express our preferences. We can express them yeah. strongly. Um, the uh, um, but uh, that's different than saying, and they are true in themselves. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. That's a big jump right. for them. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Um, yeah. So, so you might say, you know, something like. It, it, the 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 hard edge version that I learned when I was coming up in undergraduate, you know, was science itself, right, mm -hmm. is a social construct. Um, you know, democratic faith, so to speak, is a you know like the faith in the democratic institutions. That's right. a social construct. Um, that sort of thing. So how do so can can you get with the with the postmodern condition? Mm -hmm. can you are, are you still separated from the thing itself where does where does kind of the where does the the truth lie is it still in my interpretation or can i actually get at uh the object is there any objectivity so this is where we can kind of see a, a similarity between postmodernism and kant again although it's not a historical connection sure. necessarily um which is that within a given domain we can achieve a certain degree of objectivity Right. If we limit, if we kind of put on the blinders enough and say, <laughs> okay, well, let's 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 focus on say the American legal tradition, okay. right? And then we can have arguments within the American legal tradition given various background assumptions, right? Right. Um, but we can never get to the law in itself, mm. right? Or whether the American legal tradition is good in itself, bad in itself, or where it's good and where it's bad in itself, right? But you can never get to the in itself, right, question there mm. uh, to answer you. So um, there is, I think, a certain kind of objectivity, you know, maybe that you could experience, although um, important to know, if you're going to be a thoroughgoing postmodernist, you might say, well, why, why are you privileging objectivity, right? What's yeah. so great about objectivity? Um, and you'll say, well, what? What would you say, Jason? What's so great about objectivity? Well, I would say, you know, I'm I'm trying to develop a standard by which I can uh, judge a particular culture so that I can root out the things that are not necessarily good and uh, improve or um, encourage the things that would make it better. Yeah. So you're you're supposing, Jason, right, that some things are better than others. Well, yeah, it's just my interpretation, right? Like, <laughs> right. I, uh, you know, like it's, they're just different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so, 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 so it, it it seems then that that politics 
then is not necessarily like how are we going to help a society be good? It's just how are we going to socially construct this body of people, right? So I mean, there's there's no the, like the the idea is the idea of good removed altogether because, or is it just not even talked about? Because meh. At best, I would say uh, within very um, thinly sliced homogeneous communities, right? <laughs> okay. You know, you could talk about it that way, right? Yeah. You know, like, um, but outside of that, you know, sort of, you, you really can't. And what you really then are aspiring towards is liberation, mm. right? That is what you want is to allow the diverse communities of discourse within your own nation to have their their self-expression to play themselves yeah. out creatively <laughs> yeah right? interesting. interaction of, of of communities right because see nothing nothing's better than any other community so like you just you just have to kind of take your hands off and they play themselves out yeah yeah so so nothing really has pride of place then no no tr- uh, you know so even you know um so even within a given society, a Christian tradition would not have any sort of certainly not. Certainly not. <laughs> yeah, we can agree. Yeah, we can we can see that. Certainly. I mean, not maybe Christian. it's fine for Christians in their houses of worship to do their Christian things. Yeah. Maybe within their own little sort of thinly sliced institutions uh, or whatever, but um, as far as you know, entering into the public square and any yeah. kind of um normative way certainly not yeah yeah or 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 for even yeah and i mean we're even getting to the point where even somebody's personal christian faith uh for them as a legislature as part of as part of the legislature they should really kind of repress that um that's true although i will say for yeah for postmodernists i mean they take that kind of thing in different directions um you know and at some point, right, you start to say, is this like as a political approach, is this really possible? Because right? <laughs> you do need some common laws at some point, right? Um, but yeah. I have seen some, so a number of theorists, you know, espouse a very, uh, sometimes it's called the Quebecois um, solution, right? Which is to kind of let, you know, smaller units like Quebec be French speaking and do their French speaking sure. thing. And, and so you kind of get like, um, Kind of like the Swiss cantons, right? Uh, like you know, in the, in the, in the during the Reformation period, right? Yeah. Where you say, okay, well, this little canton is going to be Catholic, and this one's going to be yeah, 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 that's right. You know, this is going to be kind of Zwingli, and this one's going to be kind of this other version, and, and so we're all going to be these little pockets, right? Sure. And we just don't interfere with each other as much as possible. There's a certain a little bit of the, I think there's a little bit of appeal to that, um, but uh, especially in the capitalistic societies we have, I think the question is the possibility of it um yeah. you know uh, uh um uh, yeah so yeah i think that that's <clears throat> how they would sort of address the political situation in some parts there's a different kind of emphasis though that would really kind of i think want to displace hierarchies on an ever-evolving basis right okay uh, so within a given society, you might say, well, look, you're privileging male discourse over female discourse. Mm-hmm. You're privileging, um, uh, you know, the, you know, the, the, the discourse of theologians, people who can read Latin yeah. over those who cannot read Latin. 
that sort of thing, which creates, you know, um, a situation of oppression. And so uh, what we need is just sort of a constant churn, right? Of, of, of liberation and, and, and revolution to allow different communities of discourse to develop. Sounds great. Liberation, <laughs> revolution. That didn't work over the 20th century very well. <laughs> the problem, Jason, was we just didn't have enough. Yeah, we just <laughs> didn't do it good enough, right? That's right, right. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, with all of our educationalist models and, and you know, you know the socialism, whatever it is, you know, the problem was you just didn't go far enough, right? Yeah, which which you would you would make a, a, a good Marxist happy, I guess. Right. Be yeah. like, right? yeah, Marx those, Marx wasn't Marx enough, right? I mean, well, I it's really it was all those damn counter revolutionaries. Keep <laughs> yeah. it around, you know. We could have just weeded them out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the the, the moderate the moderate revolutionaries. They just uh, yeah. yeah, they just held us back. Yeah, that's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, at some point you're not radical enough. <laughs> Oh, that's and then ridiculous. The, and then we have the guillotine for you. Yes, so. yes, yeah. <laughs> right. right. We, we, and we need to, yeah, industrialize our um, right. our revolutions yeah, yeah. to make them really effective, right? As yeah, a gulag. Right. Yeah. Um, so, uh, of course, I don't think we really ended up quite there. I think that that was, mm-hmm. <clears throat> I mean, I think there is still kind of a, the postmodernism, that kind of hard edge of postmodernism, I think has been appropriated by kind of neo-Marxists. Yeah. Um, uh, kind of uh, political movements, cultural Marxism, Western Marxism. Uh, that's for another podcast. <laughs> um, but I think it's kind of faded some in academia, for sure. That is the hard, hard edge yeah. of postmodernism. So like when I was coming up in undergraduate, you know, I had a professor who was you know, taught from a postmodern perspective, had a couple, and both of them talked about science as just one discourse among others. Poetry is just as legitimate a form of discourse as um, sciences in, in understanding the world. Science <clears throat> privileges some, com- is, a, is a community like any other. It privileges some ways of thinking over other ways of thinking. And so it's not in itself any better at describing the world than the, than the community of poets. Uh, so that was like the hard edge of it, right? Yeah. Um, that, that I learned. <clears throat> There's, you know, as a little bit of, as an iconoclastic undergraduate, there's a little bit of appeal to that, right? It's like, yeah, man, those scientists, man, they're just they're just a community of discourse. What do they know? Yeah, um, the arts, right? <laughs> um, but interestingly, I don't think it stayed there, right? And mm-hmm. um, the conversation, and that is the the culture. Yeah, and the, and and and, that, and a lot of people have recognized that, and that's why we've moved kind of away from a, um, I think or developed from, I should say, um, the postmodern tradition into what a good number of theorists, for better or worse, are calling the post-postmodern condition, right? Look, that's <laughs> why they, I think that's why, that's why they need the arts. <laughs> they need the arts just to come up with a more creative title for like these things. I mean, mm. like, seriously, like, we've been through modernism, postmodernism. Come on. Get get a little creative if you're gonna name an entire. It would at least make for a more exciting podcast, maybe. I, mean, I don't know. Popomo sounds pretty great. I mean, yeah, it sounds, like, like it's like a song or something. What was that song you were talking about earlier? <laughs> Which, or the Pocono? Not to be confused with the Poconos. That's right. That's right. Yeah, those are islands. Right? Yeah, there's right. a song about that book too. <laughs> uh, the uh, like a Beach Boys song. Mm. Um, 
the, yeah, uh, I think you're right. So, uh, uh, which is definitely not <laughs> post FOMO or po FOMO. Um, so the, uh, um, this is, I think, actually kind of what we're encountering now. And that is where we find a real, and you find this among the millennial generation for sure, uh, but also um, um, in some other sectors of society. And that is a really strong doubling down on science, mm, right? Mm. That is that, yeah. that there's a kind of a reassertion of science here and, um, and of the importance of science. And not just its importance, but it's sort of, it's the exclusive way of relating the facts. And, and right. I, think, I think maybe a good way to, to look at it is when, or when we looked at postmodernism, there was no privileged discourse, right? That's right, right. And post-postmodernism, science mm -hmm. is, the, is the privilege. You know, uh, is that, is that, am I correct in saying that? Or I think so, but you would just want to be careful in saying that within a limited domain. Within a limited domain, yeah. So if what you're trying to do is describe the facts of the world, yeah. right, then you talk to a physicist. Right. If what you're trying, or a chemist, right, or an evolutionary biologist, if you're trying to talk about meaning or purpose or value, yeah, culture or politics or art, don't talk to the scientist, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. the scientist can maybe tell you about the chemical composition of things, right? Sure, 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 sure. Um, and, 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 you know, and within his own domain might be rather reductionistic, but it's not as if a contemporary man wants to say, oh, and science can tell us our politics. Right, right, right. Science yeah. can tell us everything. It can maybe give us some information, some data, right? Um, but it doesn't translate over to mm -hmm. um, necessary politics. Now, to be honest, I kind of agree with that, right? right. I, mean, I think. Yeah. Scientists can't actually tell us about uh, about what's morally good, yeah, yeah, or about what's politically wise. Um, I think philosophy and revelation do that, <laughs> but um, the um, but they do in within this post postmodern condition, they do um, have privileged discourse about being about reality, yeah. right? So what isn't caught by this net of science just isn't. Mm, right right now that's that's going beyond what like science it's a, it's a philosophical position about science um but basically if you want your ontology talk to a physicist yeah 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 that's it yeah so maybe uh, you know yeah and i would say i mean if you wanted to maybe see a a uh a cultural example of kind of the post postmodern world or condition would be to 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 look at and correct me if I'm wrong or, or mistaken would be to look at how some view say um, they almost hold to the climate change issue as almost, they, they hold to it religiously. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. uh, and you even have some, I mean, they were even, you know, when you had, when we had those ridiculous examples of, of, of people in a, in, I forget what kind of church it was where they were up at the altar confessing their sins to the earth, you know, mm -hmm. um, again, putting putting science in a place that i you know i you know of course i would say doesn't belong in mm -hmm. in that way but you know maybe is that you know a an, a good example of kind of this or at least the logical consequences of of mm -hmm. post postmodernism 
Sure. I think what you would want to unearth there as well is um, what are the the moral ideas, right? What are the ethical concepts mm -hmm. that are at work in making you have these concerns about these facts, right? Yeah. So science can't tell you you should be concerned about global warming. You should stop global warming. You uh, you should not contribute to global warming, right? Science, can, all that the scientists can really tell you is global. Well, if if science said this, but we'll just say for by hypothesis, supposition, you know that uh, I guess I guess it's now what's it called now? It's just global not climate change. Climate change, right? So the weather's changing. Um, so day. there's the. <laughs> So there's uh, climate change, uh, and it's caused by human beings, right? And it's going to have negative effects. I guess that's the, the, yeah. uh, the current kind of state of that. Uh, but then, like, oh, we should be really concerned about that, right? So that's a different kind of set of ideas. Does that make sense, right? Like, yeah, science yeah. on its own doesn't generate. You should save the earth, right? Right. Yeah, that that comes from that has to come from something else. Because you could just say, I agree with all the science, and I don't care. <laughs> now maybe that would be a bad or irresponsible stance right sure but it's not logically incoherent at least in terms of postmodernism or modernism um if that makes sense yeah now now would they would they go so far as to say that um morale yes morality is a, a, so, a social construct um yes. and the way that our society should work is that science should be science should uh, be the starter or the science should dictate maybe some maybe our, our morality so like the mm -hmm. climate change example like um, I should care because science is telling us this if science mm -hmm. wasn't telling this then you know if, mm -hmm. if there's like science you know doesn't really talk to us about adultery therefore mm -hmm. I'm not really going to pay much attention to the morality of adultery, sure. uh, but sure. science tells me about climate change. So, you know, do, does that make sense? Like, do do you think they sure. would maybe, or at least, pick up their first clues about morality from the science world? I think I think the scientific inquiry in that way would be the occasion. The occasion, for, okay. Is that okay. Um, moral angst? <laughs> um, <laughs> but it wouldn't be sort of the norm, right? Yeah. Uh, in itself, right, um, right. Um, because that's at the end of the day, even with something like climate change that people have a lot of moral angst about, um, it, what science is telling us is just a description of facts, right? It's just that this stuff is happening, yeah. right? Um, and then how you interpret it, how you react to it ethically within, again, a postmodern condition or a post-postmodern condition is not derived directly from science. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, so science is privileged in the sense of telling us, you know, there's no soul, there's no afterlife, right. there's no God or gods, um, you know, those sorts of things. Right. Uh, because what's not caught by the net of science doesn't exist. Um, but it can't really tell us and how and this is how you should live. Yeah. That's yeah, yeah. for our own creativity, our own collaboration together within society. Yeah. Our, That's our, the domain of creativity. Yeah. Right. Yeah, which is which is which is interesting. I mean, like if you take some of the some of the things we talked about in our in our last podcast about mm -hmm. um, you know um, pessimism, 
Right. And sure, uh, sure. Uh, uh, and kind of look at look at you know when people make the movement, and you hear this all the time in politics where they go from you know well I I I to we, you know, mm-hmm. and I think that's kind of a um, the we we see that all the time within the realm of like modern morality, sure. of you know you know the well we Americans. You know, <laughs> well, what is, what is, you know, who's saying that, you know, there's a, there's a huge, you know, there, there's a huge swath of people sure. within that do not fall within that. So, um, mm. so yeah, that, that, or it's at least when it comes to morality. Yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, so, so I, yeah, go ahead. I think I, I have a um, diagram I'm going to put up on the screen here Yeah, that I think helps kind of bring this together. So you might be asking yourself, so we talked about Kant earlier where does where does Kant fit into all of this? Is that up on the screen there, Jason? Sure is. Okay, so um, the uh, um, uh, I think Kant gives us a way of thinking about the combination of these two things, mm-hmm. right? Um, that's useful. Um, I think one of the permanent, even though there's not a direct historical chain from Kant to postmodernism. I think there is a kind of Kantian inheritance that's just part of the modern mind. Yeah. Right. And that Kantian inheritance is the division between experience and reality and the division between the practical and the theoretical. Right. Right. Those hard divisions, I think, are just part of the modern way of thinking. Mm-hmm. Even if it's not historically connected directly to each later idea, it's just part of our inheritance now. Right. And I think that, uh, the, the, the way postmodernism and scientism are coming together in our contemporary discourse and our contemporary conversation um, is reflected by, or is a reflection of this practical and theoretical division, mm-hmm. but kind of rethought in terms of objective and intersubjective, right? Okay. So if you're watching this on YouTube, if you're listening on podcasts, you can just kind of imagine it. Maybe we could put this slide up, Jason, in the show notes. Yeah, check the show notes or for our listeners, uh, check out the YouTube video as well. Okay. So the if you think of, we have kind of two different ways of thinking, mm-hmm. right? We have a way of thinking that is de- dedicated to objectivity, that's right. dedicated to the objects. And then there's another way of thinking that's dedicated to the subject, right? That is the I, mm-hmm. what, what am I going to do? Or what are we going to do? Mm-hmm. Right there? We're not just trying to analyze, right. Or describe, right. We're trying to decide. We're trying to commit. Mm-hmm. We're trying to promise. We're trying to um, avoid something or to achieve something, right. That would be on the more subjective side, mm-hmm. right. Of things, right. So we can talk about objectivity where we're interested in objects or we can talk about subjectivity, right? So if we're gonna go with the objectivity side, right? That's where we're exploring to use Kantian language, you know, what is, right? And there, I would say what we have basically is a a kind of, um, uh, that's where scientism, right? Plays itself out, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, This is where the the ontology of the world, the reality of the world is determined by what science can say about the world, Mm -hmm. right? So if you want a objective description of things, you ask the scientists, right. right? These are the facts. We can make this very clear with an example. Uh, if you want to talk about uh, the human body, 
mm-hmm. in its physicality, in its bio, biological aspects, right? Um, we, we have a way of doing that. We can talk about the body objectively, mm-hmm. right? right? And scientists and biologists can help us to talk about the body uh, objectively, right? right? As to, you know, the liver has to work a certain way, your kidneys, you know, your eyes. Obviously, there are what are called you know, primary sexual qualities, right? Those sorts of things, right? Um, that are uh, objectively reported and described within biology. Mm-hmm. So in the center of this diagram, I have the ego. So when, you're, when you, when I am thinking about objects objectivity, objectively, right? Mm-hmm. That is, I'm letting my focus be sort of absorbed by them. Right. Right. That's when I follow the scientific method. Okay. But there's a whole nother activity where I turn away from the object and I think, what am I going to do? Right. Mm -hmm. How is this subject going to enter into the action, enter into the world? Right. Um, That is a different stance. Right. Because I could just choose to ignore the fact, the the scientific facts. Right. you know, I could um, do all sorts of things that that might be informed by the scientific facts, but aren't determined or fixed by the scientific facts. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So I might kind of have them in mind, right? Um, but that they don't sort of fix my course of action or my way of being in the world. Very importantly, this is though still not. This is still under the influence of postmodernism. Right. Mm-hmm. right. So I've been talking about the subjective, but really what we have found, so postmodernists would say, is the subjective only exists and emerges within the intersubjective. Right. So if I sound like I'm speaking in kind of weird ways, yeah, here, you are. <laughs> I'm trying to reflect, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, their way of speaking about it, which is uh, to say, right, that. I only find myself as a subject, as an I acting in the world in relationship to other subjects, uh, right? Yeah. And and again, there's a grain of truth to that, I sure. think. Um, no, but of course, they, what happens is they take it too far, right? Yeah. Uh, but but this is so. Instead of objectivity versus subjectivity, what we need to think about is objectivity versus intersubjectivity. So it's so right? it's not a so it's not a complete kind of individualism, but it's no. an individualism. Uh, that's in relationship to uh, other individualisms, kind of. That's right. Yeah, so, that's one way of putting it. It's a subjectivity yeah, yeah. that's related to other subjectivities. Okay. Never independent, never on its own. Mm. Right? It's always with others, in relationship to others. Um, I think this is really fascinating because, again, there's a, there is a grain of truth to it. Sure, uh, sure, sure. An important one. Um, but what they want to say is, right, in our intersubjectivity, we craft together purpose, value, and meaning. We do not discover purpose, value, and meaning. Mm, interesting. Right? Yeah. Discoveries are made by scientists acting objectively, and all they can uncover are the facts. Those are important facts, right? Um, but they are not the purpose of things, the value of things, and the meaning of things. Right. That the purpose, value, and meaning of things is discovered subjectively, right? But 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 not just individually, but so it's so so you're moving from kind of a uh, um, an individual relativism to kind of a cultural relativism or Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. community community organized relativism. I mean, yeah, I think yeah, I mean it's a community. It's it's a 
it's a kind of relativism that is um, recognizes our dependence, our embeddedness within a given historical community, right? And yeah. that often we are individually members of overlapping communities, sure. right? Different sure, sure, communities, sure. right? Uh, which I think is kind of interesting as well. I mean, you can think about the way our identity, so think about the way your identity, right, shifts mm -hmm. depending on your social context. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Form of self-expression within your social context, right? The way I behave at the grocery store, right, is, is quite different from the way I behave in church mm -hmm. or when I'm in a church-like setting, right? Right which also would be different than the way I behave, um, say, um, at, um, at, at say, uh, a colo you know, maybe a, a dinner party held at a secular university. Right? Yeah. Um, those are all going to be different. Those are different kinds of communities, right? Mm -hmm. And different kinds of things are going to be said and expected and all that sort of thing. Right. See our identity how we describe, how we would sort of see ourselves, define ourselves, and express ourselves changes within those intersubjective contexts, is the way that they would say it. Yeah, but you don't change. <laughs> like, you're not, it's not like you're Dr. Smith and then you're not Dr. Smith. Like, mm -hmm. you are you, you know, like, like. All right, well, yeah, but maybe, <laughs> but okay, so let's go with the Dr. Smith part, right? Um, I don't have my children call me Dr. Smith. You should. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, like you know. Um, no, but no, but what I'm saying is, and and that, that you know, doctor part of me kind of is what this is how they would say. It. You know, the professor drops away and the dad takes over. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> yeah. You know, and say the you know you know the 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 you know, the businessman maybe who's praying on his knees with his fellow parishioners in church one day and then firing them the next, right? Um, he has a different, you know, one point he's a brother uh, in church with other Christians. And the next day he's an employer firing those same Christians. Yeah. Um, and so see my, the identity changes there. So, I mean, this is the way that that kind of. Sure, 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 sure. Uh, approach plays out. plays out. Yeah. So, I think it's uh, interesting. One of the things about intersubjectivity, so this is us, us trying to figure out, notice I keep saying us, we're trying to figure out what we should do yeah. right, uh, together. Um, this is not, again, us discovering the true good together, mm -hmm. right? but this is us crafting right purpose, value, and meaning. So let's go back to an example I used a little bit earlier about the body. Mm -hmm. If we want to think about the body objectively, we talk to the scientist. Mm -hmm. If we want to talk about the body in terms of its purpose, its value or definition, then we have a conversation together, right? Yeah. We have a conversation together that's informed by our diverse uh, communities and perspectives our diverse values and aspirations, mm -hmm. um, those sorts of things. And we collaboratively, right, uh, create, those create, not discover, yeah. right, the purpose, value, and meaning of the body. The body has no inherent or intrinsic purpose, value, or meaning, right? We create, right, an interpretation of 
the purpose and value and meaning of the body together yeah. in discourse, dialogue. Yeah, 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 exactly. That's what I was going to point out. Like you can totally see this in our in our modern culture with the the amount of importance of, uh, you know, where you hear phrases like, um, it's so good that we're having this conversation or <laughs> thank you for starting this conversation or dialogue is what we need that, you know, mm-hmm. that we've kind of placed dialogue and conversation mm-hmm. uh, uh, in a, in, in kind of the place of God, which, well, uh, or, or maybe we so- have, I won't even <laughs> say it's like we have, we have, <laughs> uh, we, uh, uh, or, or maybe just in, uh, uh, above demonstration and refutation. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, well, well, that, well, and that's the, and that's the other maddening part about this dialogue mm-hmm. or thing is that it's not refutation. That the 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 kind of the parameters of this dialogue mm-hmm. is that everybody is heard and everybody's mm-hmm. you know we we kindly nod at everybody and mm-hmm. and uh, what's important here really is affirmation. Yeah, uh, friendliness. Um, uh, mutual support, mutual recognition and respect. Yeah. Right. All those sorts of things, which of course, I mean, there are, are, are reasons to be friendly and reasons to be mutually respectful. Sure. I think we have to though, ask whether these are the highest question uh, matters and also whether or not those are the things that drive our interpretation of purpose, value, and meaning. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah, exactly. So it's, you know, in order to have a good, co- go to your point, in order to have a good conversation, you need to be respectful. Right. Right. But being respectful for someone else doesn't determine my definition of what it means to be a human being or the definitions that are appropriate to the human body. Do you understand? Yeah. Understand? <laughs> so I, I could be respectful in conversation, but see that, that would be for me to want to refute someone else's definition would be, I would be denying them recognition, right? Yeah. I would, instead of being in a position of uh, intersubjective, harmony, intersubjective affirmation, intersubjective, dare I say it, love. Yeah. Uh, what I am and then is exploitation, denial, and domination. Um, <laughs> and, and that and that that corrupt that that harms, see there be that harms you because I'm not allowing your understanding yeah, uh, well, I, of, I, of purpose, value, and meaning to be developed and expressed. Well maybe all of these dialogues, maybe a good remedy was, is that all of these dialogues and discussions should begin together with a, um, a general announcement or maybe even a, um, um, a community recitation of the principle of non-contradiction that, you know, if we're discussing so, something. This is great. This is great. So this is what's so great about this picture, the bifurcation model, right? Yeah. The, the law of non-contradiction applies to objectivity. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Just doesn't apply to intersection. Yeah, yeah. So if you're if you're looking at the model there, the 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 small line that Dr. Smith has between intersubjectivity and uh, intersubjective and objective, right. that line that goes down the middle, the vertical mm-hmm. line, that needs to right. be a little bit bolder. I think because because right. <laughs> it's a hard it's a hard line between it those is. two realms. Yeah. Own, and here's a really fascinating thing. This is again another Kantian holdover. It's a reinterpretation of Kant, but. The only unity between the intersubjectivity and, and objectivity is the ego. It's just the eye. Just the eye. Right. Yeah. You know, which itself is neither fully defined or captured by the objective or the intersubjective, right? Kind of plays in between the two. Plays in Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. This is maddening. Um, <laughs> so I think, it, I, I mean, I, would, I, but, I don't I endorse 
this way of thinking. Yeah. Very close. But I do think that this is a, you know, at least a fairly accurate or useful model for understanding the way the contemporary mind strangely combines yeah. this sort of fanatical adherence to science and a kind of relativistic subjectivity. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it does, and and I think for 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 us and our listeners, like this is this is pretty valuable. And under when we're trying to talk to somebody, we can't uh, um, assume that they have the same kind of starting point that we do with regards to knowing, deciding. Right. Uh, acting or reality <laughs> sadly right. oh my gosh how do we even talk anymore but um uh but but the, but this gives it away that okay so the the modern person that you're talking to is probably probably okay mentally intellectually of 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 having this this strict line between mm-hmm. uh uh the, the the subjectivity of of purpose meaning value and uh, the objectivity that science can provide to the yeah. things of the world that, and, and that's okay. Like to them, like, that's okay. We can have this, yeah. this, this interplay and the, the, the twain shall never meet. Right. So that's right. And, and they, you know, they might not be able to uh, just, it was okay. If we go just a little bit long here. Uh, they may not be able to say, Oh, well, I believe in the hard division between intercept. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> We're not going to say it that way. Right. So as if they you know, like sort of like, they're trying to wed Derrida and you know, Francis Bacon, <laughs> um, but the um, uh, uh, so, oh, that's nightmarish. But anyways, yeah, um, the um, but they they've inherited, yeah, 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 uh, or maybe are influenced by this way of thinking, right? So the facts are over here, value, purpose, and meaning are over here, yeah, and the two just have you know no connection. I just want to say a couple things quickly uh, by way of refutation here, criticism. Sure. Uh, and then we can move forward. Uh, we can wrap up the um, on the subjective side of things, right? Uh, you know, postmodernism is a self-defeating uh, sort of discourse, right, or theory, right? Uh, it's a so uh, you know it says that everything is a is a every interpretation is a social construct, and they're not therefore not true in itself. That's true. Postmodernism <laughs> itself, right? Postmodernism yeah. is a social construct. Oddly, people in Kenya don't ever, I mean, they're just like, this is not a thing that happens. Yeah. <laughs> you look outside of the Western, <laughs> kind of the Western world for the most part, there are some exceptions. Um, but this uh, this kind of uh, postmodernism is just self-defeating, right? It is it yeah. is itself an expression of a historically situated society, sure. right? And it's only seems appealing within the parameters of that society, right? right. So that way it isn't actually a good explanation of interpretation. Secondly, scientism in any sort of strong version, right, mm-hmm. is again self-refuting. Yeah. Right. Um, there is no scientific proof that only science gives us reality. Yeah. And therefore, scientism defeats itself, destroys itself. Um, you know, these kinds of refutations sound maybe sort of trivial to people, but they just keep being true. So this is the thing, <laughs> right? And, yeah. and, and and you know, against this mountain of sophisticated language and rhetoric and all that sort of thing, some of which I actually find sort of oddly fascinating you can just kind of come back with a good old dialectical hammer and knock it down. Yeah. And it shows you, I think in, in some ways, you know, the foolishness of man, um, you know, uh, Jason, you'll have to maybe remind me of the scripture, a uh, particular verse, but you know, thinking themselves wise, they became fools. Is that Romans one. Yeah. Um, yeah. It sounds, that sounds right. 
and and you know it's like yeah man this is all so sophisticated intelligent and thoughtful and wow it's just it's incoherent at the end of the day right? <laughs> it's, it's, it's this mass right of uh, sophistication uh, built on an incoherent foundation that can't stand the last thing i'll say and this is a little more complicated is the bifurcation model itself in which we have the transcendental ego that provides a unity between objectivity and subjectivity um, what I want to ask is, from what perspective do we know mm-hmm. that the ego unites intersubjectivity or objectivity, right? And, yeah. and I don't think there's a real answer to that, right? That is, it's just a, this is a picture, right, that can't be given to us by science, yeah. right? And uh, if we're stuck in intersubjectivity, we can't know that this is the way the ego is in itself, and so there's no good reason or foundation for thinking the ego provides a, tra- a, a transcendental unity between intersubjectivity and objectivity. I hope I never say that sentence again. <laughs> yeah, or that can, or that you can apply that universally. Like, mm-hmm. yes, exactly. There's yes. that. Yeah, again, goes against. You know, I could just say, it, well, that collapses your, on itself. Yeah, that's your cultural. That's your yeah, your cultural stru- uh, construct of right. how you <laughs> think the ego interacts with this, but. It, mm-hmm. You know, who are you? A 13th century knight from France is going to be like, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, he'll just stab you and right right off in the sun. Clearly witchcraft. (laughs) (laughs) Just simply, uh, the simpler times. But uh, (laughs) all right, folks, well we've reached uh, we've reached the end here. So I hope this I hope this uh, helps our listeners um, at least understand some of the some of the the thinking processes that, that, that take place within the modern, within the modern mind Um, that, you know, we can't simply just, I think, set people aside and say, well, well, they don't know, or they don't get it, blah, blah, blah. No, try to understand how it is they're thinking, because that may be some of the, the preliminary work or some of the work that we need to do first is to, to, to pick apart um, some of the, uh, 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 the way that they've constructed their own thinking, you know, um, to, to, to challenge them on, on these, these things before we get into, uh, other things, whether it be philosophy or the gospel. Um, and so I want to thank all our listeners for joining us today. Uh, in the meantime, check all, check out all of our stuff over at catholicstudiesacademy.com. Check out our courses there. And, uh, until next time, God bless.